0: Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive his favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve.
1: Mark? um... Mark is in the house. (laughs) (laughs) In the books of um, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they talk about the children being punished for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation and yet other parts of the Bible says the sins of the children not to pay, pay for the sins of the fathers and the fathers are not to pay for the sins of their children and I'm wondering how that can be reconciled. Okay, so uh, there's actually there's only two um, I believe it's uh, Deuteronomy and Numbers that say That the mercy of God is uh, for a thousand generations, but He will visit the sin upon the children and the children unto the third and fourth generations. Um, That verse uh, really super messes with people because that's where we get the whole doctrine of generational curses. If you have never heard the term generational curse, you are blessed. If you have heard the term, you probably have the hair on the back of your neck standing up because the, the philosophy, the idea, the dogmaticism behind generational curse is that your grandpa did something really evil and you're going to suffer for it. His curse got passed down to you in your blood lineage, in your DNA, and they use verses like that to verify that God does that. Like you're accountable for your great-great-grandfather kicking a dog. And let me just say this. That is evil. God is not evil. Those verses, the purpose of those verses was to draw the dichotomy between God and and His punishment or negative judgment on you and the things that you're doing and the sins that are in your life. Would be equivalent to him holding three to four generations accountable, but his mercy is unto thousands of generations. So, the point of it, one of the main points of that statement was to show, like, I got mercy to the degree of a thousand generations. Yes, I am a just God, and I do judge sin, I do all these kind of things, but we're talking about three, four generations worth. Does that make sense? He's drawing, like, my mercy is a thousand. The judgment part of me is three, four generations. That's one of the reasons that statement's in there. Another reason that statement's in there is because you can see four generations after he spoke that to those children that there was a terrible amount of mess that they went through because they were very, very bad with God. So he was, in a way, he was kind of prophesying, but you and I uh, live in a different generation. It says in. Um, the Bible. I think it's Ezekiel chapter 32. Um, The entire chapter says, you have heard it said in Israel that uh, the children's teeth are set on edge because their fathers ate sour grapes. And if you're following me, what they're saying is they were literally alluding to those verses. They're alluding to the concept of generational curses. My dad ate sour grapes, so my teeth are set on edge. He said, and uh, in, in, in I believe it's Ezekiel 32, it says that you have heard that parable spoken throughout all of Israel. And then he says, you will never say it again. You will never say it again. Now, this is interesting because this is Old Testament said, you will stop saying that. Do not say that anymore. God holds each person personally accountable for their life. There is nothing that God is holding me accountable because of my father, good or bad. I can be Billy Graham's kid, or I can be Hitler's kid. I get to chart my own path. Now that's before the cross. And if you don't believe me, look at some of the people in, in the Old Testament. Abraham was the father of our faith, but he was kind of a terrible guy. And then he had a kid who was pretty good. And then he had a kid whose name was <laughs> Deceiver. <laughs> and then that guy had a bunch of kids, and they were all terrible. That's the 12 tribes of Israel. Go read the story of, of Judah and Issachar and all those guys. They were terrible people. <laughs> Super terrible. And then every once in a while you'd have a good guy and you'd have a bad guy. A good guy and a bad guy. So there's, there's not like this spiritual dynamic like a good parent automatically makes a good kid. Let me say something real quick to all the parents in the room. There's this, there's this belief that if you are a perfect parent and you do everything right, that your kids will be good. If that's true, Father God is a terrible parent because there are billions of bad kids on this planet. No, I'm not giving you an excuse to be a terrible parent and say, well, this kid better figure it out. (laughs) Start slapping them around. I'm not saying that. And I will say that if you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you increase their opportunity to grow up in godliness and to grow up with wisdom and to miss a bunch of stuff by exponential numbers. Our children have lived literally relatively sickness and disease-free their entire life. If we added all the doctor bills together for anything that both of our kids, and they're 20 and 18, if we added all the doctor bills together, I don't know if we'd get to 10 grand. And Gunner went to the hospital twice in one year. Broke his arm and cut his face. <laughs> Accidental stuff. But what I'm saying is, like, we raised them under the belief and with a revelation of divine health. So even when they're acting stupid, they still don't get sick. Some of some other Christians can act stupid and expect to be sick. They literally expect not to be sick. Sickness to them is way out of the... We raise them in that. So you, there are things you can do as parents to facilitate the kingdom of God in your kids' life. But you you can take a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. And kids are horses. <laughs> they need whips. They need bridles. They need saddles. They need a small pen when they start out. They, I mean, whew! Need shotguns with salt rock. I mean, there is everything you need to do to raise kids. Um, but you can raise a kid perfectly and they can stick a finger in your eye and walk down the path of destruction. You can raise a kid terrible. And they can choose God. So what should you do? Just be like, oh well, woe is me, and do nothing? God no. Do everything you possibly can. Do it the right way to give them as much opportunity as possible. <laughs> In the New Testament, now all that stuff that I just answered for Mark's question was all Old Testament. In the New Testament, if you are if you are born above. How many generations away from the Father are you? Father God has no grandchildren. My children and I are both sons equal in the kingdom unto our God. They are not my children in the kingdom. I am not my mother's son in the kingdom. How in the world could I get anything bad from her? If mom was a terrible person, I know that all y'all are about to laugh at that because you probably know my mom. If mom was a terrible person and she passed that on to me, even if there was such a thing as a generational curse... Even if, there's not, but even if, then the solution would be, be born again. You're of a different generation, and you come from different DNA, and your DNA is from God. I can guarantee you, you're not getting any curses passed down to you through divine DNA. God didn't do anything bad that He's going to pass down into your lineage. So if you believe in generational curses and you just can't shake it because you just got to believe bad doctrine because some people do, then my solution to you is get born again. And then you sever your generations. You're only one generation from the Father. You're clean. You're good to go. If you have to believe in generational curses. But I will say this. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as generational curses. God does not hold you accountable for something that your great-grandpa did. That is... that is unjust and God is just. Do you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, that, that was pretty much most of what I was going to say. Um, but it's also which one is more real to us? Our spiritual family and who we are in the spirit or this natural relationship that we have? Which one's
1: Oh, like, battery's dead. My wife was
2: kind of quiet. is powerful. I'm not this
1: The uh, the chapters that I'm talking about are Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 18. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18 are the verses that I was referencing. Oh, I thought he handed you. I can put my chest by your face.
2: You'd like that, wouldn't
1: you? (laughs) That would be great.
2: Okay, we're good.
1: That's how I feel when I hear her voice. (laughs) They get home after a long day of sheep counseling. Go
2: ahead. Okay, thanks. Um, Our spiritual family should be more the reality that we live in. That's the truth. That everyone that's born again is our brother and sister. Like, sometimes we have, have, as born again believers, we have a hard time um, with. Not taking on the opinion of our unborn again family. Because they'll try and speak things to you. Parents will try to speak things to their kids. Siblings will try to speak stuff to their siblings. And they're not even really your family. They're not. But yet it's, for some reason, it's, it come, it's a weight to us. Or we believe what they're telling us. And they're not even, it's not real. It's not our real family. It's not the people that we should be um, letting have weight in words in our life. And I know that's hard because they're your parents. You love them. It's your kids. You love them. It's your sister or brother that you grew up and your whole child was with them. But in the kingdom, they're not. Um, And I know it's hard sometimes to separate that um, because you love them. And um, that's just one of the things that we really have to be purposeful about, um, is understanding spirit is real. The kingdom is real. These natural families... Temporary. temporary. Thank you. That was exactly the word I needed. When we get to heaven, they're not going to be our parents. They're not going to be our kids. They're not going to be our... our it, they're not.
1: Kay and I were just talking about this literally the other day. Um, am I on? Okay. Uh, Kay and I were talking about this the other day. Like, you know, and we're... I'm just going to use the term heaven just so I don't nuke everybody. Um, but that's actually not the right term. We don't go to heaven. You're already in heaven. Um, the... When we are uh, in the afterlife, I'll say it that way. When we're in the afterlife, uh, I would, we, Kay and I were just talking about So like, we would, We're going to be up there doing the gazillion things that we're doing with the supernatural power of God. We're going bump to bump into each other on the street corner and be like, Hey, hey, I know you. For some reason, I really feel like I know you. Like, <laughs> but I can show you multiple verses that you don't even get to keep your memories. Well, that's going to mess with a bunch of you. You don't get to ask a question on this until next time. But you don't even get to keep your natural memories when you go. You know why? Because they're not real. Those of you that are still struggling with something that happened to you when you were five because you had a terrible experience and an uncle did something or whatever, you are the only person being destroyed by that. And it's not even real. Well, it felt real, and my emotions are real, and my... Okay. I'm telling you, it's not real. And you can believe you, or you can believe me. I can prove that it's not real, at least emotionally. I could I could walk in this church. Let's say you never met me, and I walked in, and I had a police uniform on. And I walked up to Teresa, and I said, uh, Teresa, I just came from outside. I'm a police officer. I just came from outside, and, um, and your son's laying in the street. And he's ran over by a truck, and he's gooing out all of his stuff. And he's dead. And I'm sorry. And Teresa is going to fall on the floor and cry a lot. And then, after five minutes of her crying and snotting and, and everything, I say, haha, just messing. Not even really a cop. I don't even know you had a kid. <laughs> just being funny. Just a practical joke. After someone raises me from the dead because she kills me, I will say, were those emotions real? She had real emotions based on a lie. I want you to really think about that. Just because you have emotions about something, just because you have feelings about something, doesn't make it real. It just makes it real to you. (laughs) Those of you that are still struggling with stuff from your past, you should treat it like what you treat in one of those rooms and you hit a silver handle and it goes if you treated it like that if you got rid of just the emotional part of it you actually could get testimony out of it but because you won't get rid of the emotionality you can't have testimony because it's still real to you it still affects you and to be fair it probably still controls your life there are people that will not get counsel from me because I'm a guy And they've had guys do them bad. And because I'm a guy. Are you seeing? I'm in a prison that they built. And I did not not break the law. I didn't do a thing wrong. I cannot think of... Even when I was an evil guy, I didn't do women that way. Even when I was evil. And I've been righteous for 25 years. I adore... Ladies, I do everything I can to treat them with respect, to treat them with value. To, and I, there are a ton of ladies that will not get ministry from me because I'm a guy. Because they've had guys hurt them. So they've projected that on me because I'm a guy. And we wonder why we live in a society that's sexist and racist and the Christians are doing it. We're supposed to be leading this stuff. <clears throat> and along that line, if, you're, if your unsaved sibling says something to you and it nukes you, your priorities are way out of balance. Your values are way out of balance. If I tell you that you're righteous and truly holy, that God loves you, that you're valuable, that you are adored by God, and then you're unsaved or partially unsaved or barely saved or whatever um, spouse when you go home says you're a terrible person and you don't do me right and I can't stand the way that you are, and and what they said is more real to you than what I said, You have a problem. And I'll guarantee you, you struggle to hear the voice of God. Because you have such weight and value on other people's voices that you cannot filter the truth. If Kay wakes up tomorrow and says, I hate you and I'm leaving you and this is a terrible marriage and I've always hated you and you've always been terrible and I hate your love handles. And she storms out of the house, and I never see her again. Will I have emotions? Of course. Will there be things that I have to go through? Yes, of course. (laughs) Will I have to? Yes. Does that change my value? Does that change the Father's opinion of me? Now, I know that I, that's, a, that's a, a mouthful and a, and a headful for a ton of folks. But I will tell you right now that there are people that are in this building that your physical families mean more to you than the kingdom of God. There are probably people in this building, and I'm not saying this because I know, there are probably people in this building that your pets mean more to you than the kingdom of God. And all the people that that might actually resonate with, I know what you're doing on the inside. Not me. I, I I shoot the dog. Not shooting a dog. I couldn't even think. How could you even say such a thing? You're evil. Okay. If a dog got in the way of me getting into my destiny, I'd shoot the dog. I know ASPCA is going to send me a terrible email in five days because I'm a... I like dogs. I don't have a problem with dogs. I enjoy dogs. As long as they're in their rightful place and they have their rightful value. When they start dominating me, if you spend more on your dog than you do on your church, okay, we'll just we'll just move on. We don't prioritize the things of the kingdom. We wonder why the supernatural's not real to us. Why the natural is really real and the supernatural is really fake. To go, let me ask you this, which one is more real to God? He lives supernatural. He lives spirit. He is a spirit. John 4:24. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you are ever going to actually live the life that you're created to do, you are going to have to learn how to understand that this natural world is not real. That is real. That changes this anytime you want it to. Anytime you want it to. That made this. That can change this anytime you want it to. I've watched cancers fall off of people. I've watched blind eyes pop open. I've seen the dead raised. I just, <laughs> Stacy and I were out for a walk and raised a squirrel from the dead. Like, where I've seen plants come back to life. <laughs> it's, that is more real than this. And as long as we live and this, we just think, man, I, you know, two plus two is four. God comes along and says, okay, well, I'll tell you what. One grain of corn plus dirt equals 600 kernels. I'll guarantee you the first person that ever was told by God to do that said, uh-uh, two plus two is four. God said, "Uh uh-huh, watch this. And now we're like, well, you're an idiot if you don't understand that you put a piece of corn in the ground, it grows a corn stalk, it's got 600 kernels. Now you're an idiot for not believing that. Go talk to someone in the city that's never been in the country. They have no clue where corn comes from. It comes from the grocery store. Like they made it there. Are you following me? That's more real than this. Anytime you want to change this, that. You just use that, changes this. Amen. All right, Deborah and then candy.
2: So there's this big dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament with God. So it seems. seems like in the Old Testament, it's if you do this, then I'll give you that. You must perform for me, and then I will grant you blessings. And it's judgment, judgment, judgment. And, you know, everybody was afraid of God. You know, they sent Moses up on the mountain, whatever. So in the New Testament, Jesus comes along, and he's all love and mercy and grace. And it's like a completely different God than what's in the Old Testament. And yet, the Old Testament is supposed to be all type and shadow of what Jesus is. So, can you just kind of reconcile that succinctly?
1: (laughs) I will will reconcile the entire Bible real quick for you in two minutes. (laughs) Uh, First of all, let me say this. There is a book literally on that shelf called The True Nature of God. That Andrew Wilmack wrote that that's the entire purpose of that book, is to reconcile that. Um, here, here, here's my, so here's just a really deep question, so you get a surface answer on a deep question. Um, most of the reason that we think that about God in the Old Testament is because we look at Him from an overview. You look at situations from like a, like a big picture. If you drill down into the intimacies of those pictures, you will actually find Jesus. So like take the flood for example. You know, people like, the flood, God killing billions of people because they were sinners and God can't stand sin and God hates sinners and He kills sinners. That was totally not what was going on in the entire story of Noah's Ark. First of all, it took Noah 300 years. And he, the, it says in Jude that he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached righteousness to his planet for 300 years. I've been preaching for eight years at Beloved Church, and I have a congregation. He preached for 300 years and got zero converts. The world was jacked up. It says that in the days of Noah, it was so bad that every thought and every imagination of man was evil continuously. You probably don't have a grid to really understand what I just said. Every thought, look, you might not be the best Christian in the room, but you got some good thoughts and some good imaginations. In fact, they're probably more than the bad ones. Even if you are not born again in this room, and you're still of your father, Satan, you still have some good thoughts. You still have some good imaginations. I, I know a ton of people that are in the world, that are lost, that are not born again, that... They want to do good things for people. They want to see people rescued out of sex trafficking. They want to see, you know, drug abuse go away. They want to see... But even good people like in the days of Noah, every thought, every thought of every person and every imagination was evil continuously. They were bad people. Through and through. And there was no deliverance in the Old Testament. And there was no being born again. Noah's Ark, the flood of mankind, was mercy. Mercy. Because you and I are here. That's why you've got to drill down in some of these situations and see in the intimacies of them. Because if you just look at these from above, man was bad, God was good, kill bad man, move on. Like, that was totally not it. Totally not it. And another thing is, everybody that died in the Old Testament went to Abraham's bosom, and Jesus preached to him. So even in the Old Testament, you still had a right to get the gospel... And to either accept or reject Jesus Christ. So when everybody died in the Old Testament, they just didn't die and go to hell and burn forever. They died and they went to a holding place called Abraham's bosom and they heard the gospel. And then if they rejected again, really in a way, everybody in the Old Testament got like two shots. You only get one. They actually got two. God was actually more merciful in a way, kind of, in the Old Testament than He is kind of in the New. I mean, think about that. They got two. They got to accept or reject Him on earth. And then they went to a holding place, Abraham's bosom. And then Jesus specifically went there. It says in Colossians that He went and preached to the souls, the lost souls. It talks about it in Ephesians. It talks about it in Jude. It talks about it in Peter. That He went and preached to the lost souls that were in Abraham's bosom. And they got to either accept or reject the gospel being preached by Jesus. Like, if you reject that, you you... need to go to hell. (laughs) When the Messiah comes and says, I'm the Messiah and I'm here to set you free. And you say, ah, heck with you. Heck with you. Another thing is, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose. You might be thinking, well, what about the little bitty girl in, 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 that's born in Iran and they never heard the gospel? You have a very small mind and you think that Jesus is not trying to go to the uttermost to save. If you think about Jesus going to the uttermost to save, then you will think about things like I know hundreds, Bob knows some too, of Muslims in Muslim countries where Jesus literally shows up physically, physically, In their lives. Tells them who He is. Tells them what they can have. And they accept Jesus. Because Jesus went to them and preached to them. Angels go to people. Lead them into churches, underground churches. People have dreams of God. Don't don't assume that God is just like, Well, sorry for you. You were born in Iran. You're going to hell. Stop it. That is not how God operates. God goes to the uttermost to save anybody that will hear so God doesn't send anybody to hell. Every single person has heard the gospel. They choose to accept or reject. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. Another thing is, you, uh, you need to understand that people going to hell is God honoring their freedom. If you reject God in this life, God will honor your choice in the next if you don't want to be with God in this life, you will not have to be with God in the next life. Follow me. Yeah. If you don't like to worship God here, if you don't like to conania with, and I'm not making a commercial for a conania, but if you don't like to fellowship with God's people here, you think you're going to heaven? <laughs> Stop it. If you can't love your brother, I mean, the Bible's real clear in this. If you can't love your brother who you have seen, how in the world are you going to love God who you've not seen? If you don't like to be generous here, why would you go there and be generous? If you don't like to be transparent here, why would you go up there and be glistening? (laughs) Think about it. God will honor your choice. And when people choose to not have Him and His kingdom and His way of life and His way of living, God's not going to force anybody to be that way. A lot of people think, well, I'm just going to die and everything's just going to whoop. Like, no, you you still have choices even after you die. Like, you, you don't lose free will. And if you choose to be mean to God's people and and not honor the kingdom and not believe in the supernatural and not all that, you are going to have a ton of kind of quote-unquote work to do before you're going to actually get to what you think that you're going to get to. And I know I just messed with some people there too, but it's for real. You want to add to that? Yeah, I just
2: uh, wanted to say there are so many instances in the Old Testament well, I'm on where God wanted something a certain way. I don't know how better way to put that. But the Israelites didn't want it. He wanted to have a relationship with them, talk to them. Right. But they said, no, 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 no. You just talked to Moses. Right. We don't want that. So God was offering them a relationship with him... I would say akin to what he had with Adam and Eve, where he would talk to them and they said, no, no, thanks. You just talk to Moses.
1: And people do this a lot today. Pastor, I got this terrible problem in my life. Can you get the prayer chain going? Right. (laughs) So I'm going to get 50 people to pray about your problem. And for some reason, that's going to really make God do something for you. Am I, am I killing enough sacred cows in here to, to have a barbecue afterwards? <laughs> if also... you and God aren't intimate enough to deal with your problems, you think bringing 50 people into the situation is going to help? By the way, I, I only ask select few people to pray for me because I know how some of you all pray. Oh, Lord, don't give him the cancer that will make him die when he's young. He'll leave his family and his wife. Oh, Lord, spare his life. Don't pray for me. (laughs) Keep your prayers. I don't need none of that unbelief. Like Brother Hagin used to say, it's like a donkey brain at midnight in a tin barn. Keep it to yourself.
2: (laughs) Is that how it is? And uh, they rejected his way of wanting them to rule. (laughs) <laughs> they wanted a king. And God's like, that's not what I want you to do. He's like, no, God, we want a king. He gave it to them. He knew that wasn't the best for them. It's not what he wanted for them. But because they wanted it, they gave it to, he gave it to them. He gave them a king. And, yeah, that was a mess.
1: <laughs> that's Exodus 19, 20, and 21. You can go look at it. God wants intimacy. He wanted intimacy Forever. That's what he created us for. He created us for intimacy. When you reject those things, it only does damage to you. It does damage to you. And how many people live their lives this way? Well, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my brother. Jesus is the lover of my soul. Is Jesus your Lord? Well, I mean... No, no, no. That's a good question. Is Jesus Lord? Lord? Well, I don't know. What do you mean by Lord? (laughs) Exactly. Go look it up. It means like he's in charge. Well, Jesus is in charge. Really, are you doing that verse? There was a preacher friend of mine uh, that uh, some guy walked up and and he was fussing at him um, about this whole kind of idea of God not being... Sovereign to the way that he believed it. Like, he, he was all fussy, like, God can do anything he wants. And this guy literally, from a gift of the Spirit, said, Oh, really? If God can do everything he wants, why doesn't he make you tithe? <laughs> and the guy's like... And the preacher said, I didn't know he didn't tithe. It was like literally a gift of the Spirit that told me that he didn't tithe. And the guy walked off. But it's true. Like, if if Jesus is really your Lord, then you'll live that out. Like, your life will reflect what his Lordship would usher in. So don't be assuming, like, God's going to do all these things in your life, and you're not... Jesus wants to be your brother. He wants to be the lover of your soul. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your comforter. He also knows what's best for your life, so when he's trying to do that Lord thing, it would be really wise for you to say, okay, be Lord. You're in charge. A bunch of Christians don't live that way. They think freedom is doing what you want. If you think freedom is doing what you want, you've never met freedom. His name is Jesus. All right. Oh my gosh.
2: That was pretty good.
1: Well Candy, ask your question and then um, I promise a twenty second (laughs) dissertation.
0: (laughs) Stop it. My question is is just as
1: like, you know, when you get married one flesh, what can I do and my husband to be one flesh? And spiritually, get on the same level, and, and also with our children, like help them grow
0: in the spirit as well. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yep, yeah,
1: it's relationship. You, so the Lord supernaturally knit your guys' heart together at the altar. It's the same kind of a situation of being born again. It was a in in your born again instance, you were of the earth, and then you were born again above, born above is what Jesus said in John chapter 3, born above, you be, all your DNA changed, everything, Second Corinthians five seventeen says everything became new, so at the altar, when a couple gets married, and they actually invite Jesus to be a part of that process, God takes two hearts, now this is talking about a soul thing, that's why Jesus said they became one flesh, they don't become one spirit, they become one flesh, there's a knitting together of their heart, of their natural lives together, So if you believe that took place, then you're going to knit natural parts of your lives together. You're going to knit your finances together. You're going to knit your emotions together. You're going to knit transparency together. You're going to knit communication together. You're going to, to, to the degree that you believe that, you'll knit that. The more you knit that, the more it becomes entwined and the stronger it becomes. The more you separate those things... Guys got man cave, girls got her girl pals where they just sit around and, and talk about bad about their husbands all day long. They have two separate checking accounts, they got two separate lifestyles, they got two separate calendars, they got two Guess what the end result of that is? Not knit. If you knit everything together on purpose, things are knit. When things are knit, they can't come apart. A three branded cord is strong. All right. That was a quick answer, but you did say about your kids. The greatest thing you can give, the greatest spiritual gift you can give your kids is loving God with all your heart and honoring your husband with all of your flesh. When your kids see that, our children have never seen Kay and I not love each other. They've seen us maybe not do it very well but I can guarantee you the greatest thing that we can give them is for me to adore her and for her to adore me back because it's going to parallel the kingdom. Amen. All right. Please rise. I would like to pronounce a blessing over you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life.
1: Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you.